0: And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.
1: Welcome back to The Fighter versus The Writer. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin. And I am happy to be joined this week as we dig into a UFC 273 preview. Matter of just days away. Two title fights, of course, the return of Hamza Chimaev, And we're going to talk about the entire main card. I am excited to welcome in for the first time on the podcast. A man who's one of the top analysts in the game. Uh, works for ESPN. Works for the UFC. Colin fights for LFA. And I'm excited to have him here today. Alan Joban. Alan, welcome
2: in. How are you? Thank you, my brother. I'm good, man. I'm in Vegas right now, so staying busy. And and you were telling me right before the show started, you've had almost every analyst on the show. So I'm glad to finally get on here and we can knock it out and have a fun show, man. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I was watching one of the UFC broadcasts a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, how have I not had Alan on the show to do some breakdowns? And I was like, perfect timing with UFC 273 coming up, big card coming up. So I thought this is perfect timing. Of course, we got two title fights. The return of Hamza Chemaev. And I got to be honest, like, I'll, I haven't really had a chance to, like, dig into the entire card, but, like, I was super impressed by everybody on this card. I mean, beyond the main card, of course, you got Aspen Ladd making her return, Raquel Pennington in that fight. Now you got Marco Madsen and Limpian in there, uh, Mickey Gall making his return, Anthony Hernandez, you know, I mean, Jorginho Rosenstrike and, and Marcin Tibero are on the prelims. So this is actually a pretty stacked card.
2: Yeah, some fun ones. Like you just said, the, uh, Strike. anytime he fights, you got to just beware. Don't blink because, you know, he's such a power hitter in the heavyweight division. Um, but I didn't see the rest of the prelims cards. So I'm happy to hear some of those. And Mickey Gall, you know, Mickey um, seems to be getting better throughout his career. I believe he just went because he was before he was training over with, um, with Matt Brown, right? Quite a bit yes. with Matt Brown uh-huh. over there. Looks like he made his way to Florida. Down the um, um, Sanford MMA, which is it's just it seems to be like a, a gym on the rise. So many, so many great partners of there, training partners in the wall, especially if you're welterweight to middleweight over there. I mean, it, 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 it's it's death row over there. I mean, there's just so many killers over there. So I think it's a good move for Mick.
1: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. But we're going to talk about the main card tonight. We're going to kick things off with the first fight of the night where Alexio Linick, the ageless wonder that he is, uh, will return to action and he takes on a short notice opponent in Jared Vandera. Of course, he was originally slated to fight uh, fight Alier Latifi, a card that you and I were both at at UFC Columbus. Unfortunately, Latifi got ill. Couldn't fight. They rebooked the fight, and it appears, unfortunately, Latifi still isn't ready to compete. So they found mm-hmm. Olenek a new opponent. Now he's facing Jared Vandera, who, of course, is coming off a hard-fought split decision loss to Ale- uh, to uh, to uh, uh, God, I just blanked out his name, Andre Orlovsky, Excuse me. Uh, okay. Vandera's is a is a serviceable guy. All, both these guys are coming off losses. I think Olenek's off three losses in a row, and is off two losses in a row. So again, kind of a bit of a either guy needs a win here, but. Alan, I got I got you know, I listen, I'm one of those people. I've always been really high on Alexio Linick. I'm not gonna say I ever thought he would be a UFC champion because that would be me lying. I never thought that about him. But man, I love watching this guy fight. Like it's just like even even in a losing effort, I know he's always one takedown, one one moment away from pulling off an Ezekiel choke, and and I just love that he's still doing his thing. I think he's what 43, 44 years old at this point. Like he's one of the oldest fighters in the yeah. UFC. He's got he's got like 90 fights on his resume or whatever it is. Something ridiculous. Uh I just love watching this guy compete.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the story on him, right? He's one I, I want to say he might even be, be 44. One of the oldest guys, as you said, he's got a thousand fights. He's got more fights than a lot, probably the rest of the guys on the card combined. Um, He's going against who Jared Vander, you said. Yeah. And and and, and Vendera, you say it's coming off of a fight with um with uh Arlovsky. who did you say it was Arlovski? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So right. So they're giving him two older guys in a row, which is kind of interesting. You know, in the original matchup with Elir Latifi, um, I was picking Ilir in that fight because this is the thing with Oleski Olenik, He's a submission expert. I mean, he's one of the best in the world. He's shown that. Well, you've got to be able to submit people and against Latifi Latifi is the guy that is built like a fire hydrant has no neck and he's never been submitted in his career in that matchup. I was going with Latifi. Now we have a completely different matchup. Olenek going against Vandera. I don't I don't know, man. I really don't know. I, I, I don't know you saying that Vandera is coming off of a loss. I, I would kind of lean towards Olenek, maybe get something, you know, if you can get him down and throw in one of those chokes or something, but I'm, um, at the heavyweight division, especially at that age, it's really hit or miss. Because you'll see Alexei Olenek have a beautiful performance. And then you'll see him go against somebody who's athletic and, and, and moves well. I don't mean, know if feel like a Walt Harris, right? And you remember how that fight went. He just, he was so agile. He was able to get Alexi Olenek out of there in no time. So Alexi Olenek is very hit or miss. And as you said, I think he's on a bit of a, a, a three-fight skid at the moment where he would definitely need to win in this matchup.
1: Yeah, I, I still like him to get it done because he's been preparing You know he's been you know getting ready for a fight, whereas Vendera you know hasn't been doing that. And and I like Jared Vendera, but Jared Vendera is not the most athletic heavyweight. He's not the quickest heavyweight, and he's not the hardest hitting heavyweight. Not to say he can't knock people out with one punch. I think every heavyweight could probably do that, but. I just I think this stylistically is a fight that Olenek can win, because I'm with you. The Latifi fight, I was going with Latifi. He has no neck. How are you going to choke a guy with no freaking neck? I mean, yeah. come on now. So, I like Olenek to get it done here. Again, I, I think we've kind of seen the ceiling for Alexi Olenek, not that there's any shame in that. He's never going to be a, you know, a top-tier heavyweight in the UFC, and at his age, again, I think at this point, he's just having fun fighting because he loves doing it, and there's nothing wrong with that, but... uh Again, I think, I think this is a winnable fight for him. I think Latifi would have been tougher.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Everything that you just mentioned about Jared not being a power puncher, not being the fastest, most agile guy on the feet, those are the certain things that Olenek has trouble with at a guy at his age, 43 years old. And he's just not a natural striker, Olenek. He's a natural anaconda. He's a natural flat-footed, once they hug you, wrestle you to the ground and find a powerful way to squeeze you in places that normally you wouldn't get a submission, but he finds a submission. So he has such a a powerful squeeze and he's just so good at finding, finding the submission there. But if he's going up against opponent that doesn't possess these type of, you know, explosive capabilities, it gives him that better chance of finding that squeeze and getting a win.
1: Now you, you, you have trained and fought for so much of your life. Have you ever been putting in Ezekiel choke?
2: I haven't, but I tell you (laughs) what, when Olenek first came to the UFC, And I I don't remember which bout it was, but I remember we were kind of like the the broadcast, the commentary was like, he's got nothing here. And then all all of a sudden you see guys tapping or going to sleep. That's, you know, that's the next thing that everybody's trying at the gym the next day, which always is fun. So I remember going to Black House and we were all trying to choke each other out with the (laughs) Ezekiel choke, you know, and seeing, and we're like, oh, you know, I'm not feeling it. And some some people were just naturally better at it. And I believe it's one of those chokes, A, you have to have a tremendous squeeze. Um, And then B, it's also body type. You looked at Olenek, he's a big man, a big, strong man with long arms. And he's able to kind of wrap around some of these bigger heavyweights guys and gets his hands with enough, enough torque on it to get those chokes. But certain people that have maybe shorter arms and not as tremendous of a squeeze probably wouldn't have as much success. But he's built for that choke.
1: It's so funny. That's a choke. I would imagine you'd have to get with a gi on. Like I see that choke, and I'm like, that's a collar choke. It's where it, that's, it roots that's a, from, g- exactly. That's yeah, that's from. a gi choke. Because I remember when I first started doing jiu-jitsu, those were gi chokes, and I was like, how's this guy pulling it off without a gi on? I was like, what's this guy doing?
2: Yeah, yeah. He it, it was like when we first saw that it was the it was the um, the the uh, Saint Preux, you know, the 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 choke that you know nobody knew what it was. Now everybody's pulling it off. Well, I wouldn't say everybody's pulling off the Ezekiel, but we know about it now because
1: of them. That's true. That's true. Uh, let's move on to the strawway division. A uh, uh, Kind of a pivotal fight coming up on this card between Mackenzie Dern and Tisha Torres. Of course, Tisha Torres coming off three wins in a row, looking very impressive in her last win of her, Angie Hill. Uh, Angela Hill. Angie, I think is what we all call her. Angela Hill professionally mm-hmm. is her name. And Mackenzie Dern, of course, coming off a tough decision loss, but a fight of the night effort against Marina Rodriguez, which stopped her winning streak. I think she had won three or four in a row. Of course, we know McKenzie, they're an incredible ground technician, one of the most dangerous submission fighters in the history of the women's division. Tisha Torres, incredible striker, definitely one of the smaller fighters at Straw Weight. I know this seems like the classic striker versus grappler fight. I think McKenzie, you know, working with Jason Perillo, she's worked a lot on her striking. She's gotten a lot better with her striking, but I don't think, and I've talked to McKenzie. I talked to McKenzie a couple of weeks ago, and she said, I'm not not making a secret of what I'm going to do. I want to get the fight to the ground where I can dominate. And, you know, Tisha has looked great in her last few fights, but you know, she did, you know, she did have some struggles before that. She lost to Jessica Andrade. She lost to Young Jacek again. No shame whatsoever losing here, but it feels like this is a fight and please correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, but I feel like this is a fight that one of these fighters is going to remain like a top five straw weight. And the other one is going to be a little bit on the outside looking in after this one.
2: Yeah, maybe so. You know, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure. I don't know judging on like what they're ranked right now or anything like that. But Mackenzie Dern came into the UFC uh, and it was like question marks surrounding her. Right. You know um, she had the baby while she was fighting. Um, She had trouble making weight. Sometimes she was switching gyms. Um, She was trying to find her rhythm is what I'm getting at. And then she kind of found her rhythm uh, and began to climb the rankings and doing very well in the vision. Tisha Torres has been around forever. Obviously as we know, I feel like she's hitting her stride though, man, this is a, an interesting matchup. I feel like Tisha Torres, um you can say striker versus grappler, but Tisha Torres is so well-rounded. I know Mackenzie Dern has improved her striking tremendously, but you just mentioned it. She's there's no secret, right? Easiest path to victory is always the smartest way to take a fight. Mackenzie Dern being one of the highest level submission artists in the women's division in the UFC, she's going to be looking for any opportunity to get this to the ground. It makes it tough against somebody like a Tisha Torres who's so compact built and so explosive in and out. Right. Cause I mean, she's shredded. Tisha Torres is just, she's shredded up uh, very quick, twitch muscle fiber, explosive in and out movement. And she's the type of person that creates scrambles that probably will make it tough for the non wrestling grappler, like McKenzie Dern. If McKenzie Dern was a double legger or she knew how to chain wrestle and get her to the ground easily, but you know, she's still in that kind of jujitsu wrestling world where nothing against her. But you know, she You normally would probably have to drag somebody down to the mat or work a leg lock, get them to fall down, jump on them there. So I think it may not be as easy of a time for her getting Tisha to the mat. If she does get Tisha to the mat, I think she could do some damage.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like McKenzie. You know, McKenzie has shown, you know, just like in the fight with Marina Rodriguez, I and mean, she got that fight to the ground. Now, credit to Marina She didn't get submitted, but, you know, things got dicey for a little bit there. And then I know, again, you know, not trying to make excuses for McKenzie. You know, she talked about having a knee injury going into that fight. She ended up having surgery afterwards, so she was a little wary of, you know, going for takedowns, you know, being able to really commit to her takedowns and things like that. And that was also a five-round fight, so, of course, maybe you're a little apprehensive about going, you know, kind of, forgive the frame, like, balls to the wall. You know, you don't want to go crazy early because then maybe you run out of gas late uh, I agree. Tisha is, is incredibly fast on her feet, really quick movement, good at getting out of bad spots, but I'm always reminded of that fight with Jessica Andrade. I think she gave up like nine takedowns in that fight. Now, of oh. course, Jessica Andrade is a monster. Make, I mean, she's a freaking monster. Make no mistake about a former champion. Again, no shame in losing to her, but... You know, nine takedowns against a fighter who's not as necessarily known as a as a huge grappler. You know, we know Jessica yeah. for huge knockouts. We don't know her as like a huge grappler. I think McKenzie, because this is a three-round fight, and I think she can and she will have a bit of a size advantage. We know Tisha's a little undersized for Strawweight. I like McKenzie to get the job done here. I don't know if she's gonna submit her because as mm-hmm. you said, Tisha has never been submitted, but I think Rounds one and rounds two, if she can go out there, get the takedown, get the ground control, work for the submissions, make Tisha defend, that's how I think she gets the job done. I don't know that she'll submit her, but I still like McKenzie yep. to get the job done here.
2: Yeah, I'm a fan of both women. I really enjoy watching them both. Uh, but I'm going to go on the other side of the table. This So, man, keep it interesting. You know, they're fighting on a pay-per-view card, which means when the larger octagon, the 30-foot octagon makes it a lot more room to use that footwork, a lot harder to get somebody pressed against the cage. I'm going to use that to the advantage of Tisha Torres. I think Tisha squeaks out a decision in this one.
1: That's a good point about the cage. I didn't think about that. I'm so used to the apex now. I forget we actually have a good cage back again. Uh yeah. Alan, it's time. Let's talk about the fight that a lot of people I mean, we got two title yeah. fights in this card and, and and a fight that I think I I, I I mean, listen, I mean no disrespect to the title fights, but I think the fights that the one fight that everyone has their eyes on, it's almost like the the the, the main event without being the main event is Gilbert Burns taking on Hamzad Shemaya. Hamzad has gotten all the hype in the world he is like a five to one favorite over Gilbert Burns, which to me seems a little crazy because Gilbert is an established, proven veteran, former title contender, arguably pushed. You know, I mean, I know that you know Colby definitely won rounds against you know Camaro, but I mean, no one hurt Camaro the way that Gilbert did. Gilbert dropped him in that first mm-hmm. round, had him hurt early. I think it's crazy to underrate him as much, but I, I listen. I talked to Daniel Cormier a week and a half ago. He's like, "This is this guy's real." Is the he called him the quote-unquote scariest contender he's seen in a long while. You know the sport better than me. You were a fighter. You know it. You analyze the sport. Do you believe Hamzat Shumayev is the real deal?
2: I do. I'm on board. I think that Saturday night at UFC 273, our questions will be answered. He is the real deal. He has that X factor above any prospect that I see in MMA at this time. He stands head and shoulders above all of them because he has that X factor. The two divisions, the strength in the grappling, the one-punch knockout, walk-off. He's got everything. He's a scary individual. If he can go in there on 273 and walk through Gilbert Burns, there's no stopping him. That's when he's going to start demanding the title shot. And, and so th- this fight is so looked at not only because Khamzat Shamayov is just the, the guy that everyone has their eyes on because the, the hottest prospect, the hottest possible contender, but it also, it makes waves in the welterweight division, right? Because if he does get a finish over Gilbert now, in my eyes, at least he's the next guy in line. I mean, why, who else are you going to do? You got to see what happens with Usman and Leon Edwards, whoever wins that fight. You would think Hasma would be the next guy in line. Now, if Leon Edwards would get a win over Usman, then there might be an an immediate rematch. If not, if, if Usman retains the title, then you've probably got to be looking at Usman versus Hazman Shemayov, which is, I mean, you look at his body of work in the UFC, how quickly he rose to stardom. And what is the number? It's something crazy. He's only taken one significant strike damage in four or five fights. I mean, yeah, it's, ridiculous. It's, one of the, it's one of the most impressive resumes we have ever seen inside of the UFC.
1: It is. It is. And listen, I'm like, it's a weird one because I'm a believer in Hamza Chamayev. I think he is an animal. I think he is a beast. And he's a massive guy for this weight class. That being said, I just, I cannot, I cannot discount Gilbert Burns. I think Gilbert is just being totally mm-hmm. counted out in this fight. He's heavy handed. You could argue he might have the best jujitsu in this division. Now that Damian Maia is gone. Uh, he's incredibly and he Obviously has a winner for Damian Maia at that, but he's incredibly strong uh, you know, good grappler, and I mean good wrestler, excuse me. Good solid wrestling, incredible grappler, heavy-handed, uh, and and great cardio. We saw him push the pace for five rounds against Tyron Woodley. We've seen him be in those moments, and I will and I know this is a weird thing to throw out there, and everyone's gonna say you're crazy, because it's not fighting, it's wrestling. But I watched his wrestling match. Ham might have had a freestyle wrestling match in a cage, albeit Against Jack Hermanson. And Jack Hermanson's a Greco Roman guy, not a freestyle guy, so it's a completely different skill set. But by the end of the second period, which these are three minute periods, Homsat was slowing down a little bit. Now I know I, it's not fighting, it's wrestling. Who knows if he was even in shape? I don't know. Right. But he was slowing down a little bit. He wasn't shooting as hard. He wasn't, and, and the second mm. period ended kind of like in a zero zero tie, and he had already racked up enough points early. I think if Gilbert can survive the early onslaught and make it into the second round and get into the third, Hamza have tend to know never seen a third round ever in his career. Mm, never done it. Now, that's a great point. I know he's got all, everyone says in the gym, he's got all the cardio in the world. Oh my God, this guy could go for three days straight. Great. I know a lot of guys who have great careers in the gym. Alan, I'm sure you've seen lots of them, but that doesn't mean it translates into the cage. You and I both know this. some guys who are just incredible gym fighters Unfortunately, they never quite be able to do the same thing in the fight. If Gilbert survives early, I like Gilbert to win this fight. I really do because I think that he, I think he's got a chip on his shoulder. I think people are counting him out, and I think he knows that. And I like that about Gilbert Burns. So I'm going with the upset. I'm going with Gilbert Burns to pull Gilbert. it off. I, I don't know if it's wow. going to be easy. And I, and and Hamza may finish him in the first two minutes. That's how good I think Hamza Chimaev is. But if Gilbert survives, if he survives, yeah, if he survives, he gets deep in that second round, gets in that third round, starts tiring him out a little bit. We're gonna see really what Hamza Chimaev's made of. I know what Gilbert's made of. We've seen him; he's proved it. I'm not. i I'm not ready. Take. I'm not ready to jump on the Hamza Chimaev just yet.
2: Yeah. Sorry about it. Yeah, I, I think that's a great take on it. You know, Chimaev has answered. A lot of questions for us so far. Can he compete at wall to weight? Yes. Can he compete at middleweight? Yes. One punch, knockout power. Can he grapple in the UFC? Can he dominate people? And then as you mentioned, in that grappling match, he's able to dominate high level competition when it comes to grappling. The difference maker. Well, let me finish with that. The one answer, the one question that hasn't been answered, as you just mentioned, it's a great point. We haven't seen him in a long round fight especially a grappling-heavy fight that might possibly go through rounds. So let's break down this fight real quick. It starts on the feet. Both guys are throwing bombs. Both guys can cover distance very well. Gilbert, tremendous hit power in his hands. Chumayev, I think he holds the power in his hands and his legs. He's got long legs. He covers distance very well. In one of his opening bouts in the UFC, head kick to the ankle pick takedown. I mean, the diversity from the highest strike to the lowest takedown, it just shows how talented, and that's when they caught my eye seeing that he can transfer from those type of strikes. If he gets Gilbert down, when you talk about wrestling, he's probably the better wrestler than Gilbert. Do I believe he's a better submission artist than Gilbert? No, no. Do I, do I feel that an entanglement between these two comes uh, that would finish on top? Yes, I do. So I think he would be on top of Gilbert. Is he going to submit Gilbert Burns? I don't think so. Could he ground and pound him a good bit? He could probably hurt him, but I feel like Gilbert's going to be good enough. Uh, as uh, the superior jiu-jitsu practitioner to stay out of damage, to stay out of damage. So to, to your point, Hamzat, let's say he doesn't get the knockdown, the knockout rather, and he gets on top position, but he's not able to finish Gilbert. Same thing plays out in round two, not able to finish Gilbert. What happens in round three? Either Gilbert's able to come back and we see Hamzat start to slow down. As you mentioned, we haven't seen a third round Hamzat Shumayev. How does he perform? Or, even if Shemayov wins this fight, but if it's by three round decision and it was a non-entertaining fight because he couldn't put Gilbert away and he couldn't really inflict tremendous damage on Gilbert because his jujitsu was too crafty. He kept offsetting Shemayov's hips. Does that warrant Shemayov next title shot if it's a lackluster decision to win? I don't know. I don't think so. I think maybe then you have to put him against another test. I think if he starches Gilbert, he's the next man in line and 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 the 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 folklore of Shumayev gets only greater and greater, but that's a great point. Haven't seen that third round uh, cardio out of him. And I don't really see him submitting him possible ground and pound. I think he has a better chance of knockout on the feet. Secondary, I think possible TKO from ground and pound stoppage, which I'm not sure about, but I don't see a submission in sight.
1: Yeah. So do you, are you going with Hamzat?
2: <laughs> I guess I didn't give you a clear answer to that. I was, I was uh, breaking on the fight, but I'm going to go, as much as I like Gilbert, man, again, I'm going to say this about the whole court. I like all these guys. Um, I hate doing picks as a fighter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm going to ride this train, man. I'm going to go with Hamzat Shemayov. I don't think the numbers are correct. I want to say he's like a plus 500, which to your point, if you're going with Gilbert, put some damn money on that one because um, that that's those are crazy odds, I think. But um, I'm, I'm going to go with Shumayev, sure.
1: You know, and I gotta be honest. Like, what's better for the division? And this is not a knock on Gilbert. We've seen Gilbert fight for the title. New
2: blood is always better. 100%. I think. I think. I think
1: Usman needs Shamiya. Don't you agree? I mean, he already he already yeah. vanquished Colby Covington. And and, and I, listen, I have the utmost respect for Leon Edwards, but I just don't like Leon's chances in that fight. It's not a knock on Leon. I just think Kamar Usman is that good. Uh, I think Usman needs Shamiya because I think people will pitch if Shamiya rolls through Gilbert Burns. There's going to be a lot of people picking Chamayev to beat Kamaru Usman, and Kamaru yeah. hasn't had that. You know, I mean, even in the Colby fights, as good as Colby was, and Colby, for all his ridiculous antics and stupid things mm-hmm. he says, he's an incredible fighter. Very still, still a lot of people weren't picking him to win that fight. Oh, Colby's this, Colby's that, Usman wins. Gilbert Burns, same thing. Gilbert's this, Gilbert's that, they used to train together, but Usman wins. I think Chamayev, a lot of people would pick him to beat Usman. I think in a way, Usman needs that. It's kind of like that Anderson Silva mystique. He needs that rival to push him. And I think Chamayev could be that guy.
2: And, and you know, it's very interesting. This fight, if Chamayev gets past Gilbert, would tell Usman a tremendous amount of knowledge. I mean, he's probably going to focus on his on his fight first. But if we do see, as you said, Chamayev losing steam in the second round, losing steam in the third round, getting maybe a lackluster performance or maybe getting a finish later on. Usman is a guy that goes in there with Kobe Covington and Covington is the cardio machine. And that's how he drowns people. Not the best striker for sure, but he outstrikes strikers because his cardio is his output is so much. He's able to drown people. Even guys like, like, um, 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 not Rory McDonald, who am I thinking of? Um, Oh, Robbie Lawler, Robbie Lawler. Thank you very much. When Robbie Lawler fought, uh, Covington, we were like, okay, finally somebody's going to knock him out. And then it was the exact flip of the script, right? Um, he, he outstruck Robbie Lawler because he just drowned him. He was in his face, didn't let him breathe. And he does that. He could, what my point is, Kobe Covington couldn't do that against Usman. Usman has the cardio. He has the power. He has the wrestling. He has a size and strength advantage. And now he's more confident than the other because he's the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, number one. Usman is not going to slow down. He's not going to be tired out by Colby Covington. If we see a kink in the armor of Chamayov against Burns, Usman's got to be drooling at the, you know, at, at the mouth thinking, okay, everybody thinks Chamayev's the got to beat me, but Chamayev can't make it in rounds four and five against me. Like like he knows he can. Usman knows he can do championship rounds. He's done it multiple times. We haven't seen Chamayev in a third round. So a lot of questions are going to get answered on that night.
1: I tell you, I still dream of seeing Colby Covington against Hamza Chamayev. That's the matchup I would <laughs> love to see because – and again for all the ridiculous things colby does and says he's an incredible fighter and i would love to see that matchup i don't know if it'll happen because again if chemaiv wins i agree probably going to push him into the title fight and rightly so you get through gilbert burns you probably do deserve it but i would like to see him fight colby i would really think i think Chamayev colby would be a really interesting matchup
2: well if 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 Chimayev doesn't starch burns and it's not the, it's kind of a lackluster dull performance and it doesn't shoot him straight into the title shot. I think that would be a great matchup. Okay. Shemaev has a bit more to prove. Let's put him in a five round main event against Colby Covington, a five rounder against the cardio machine. If he passes that test, there's no questions asked. He, he deserves the title shot, but then we get to really test him.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: We got two title fights to talk about on this card, Alan. Let's kick things off in the Bantamweight division where Al Sterling will technically be defending his title against Peter Jan, who is the current interim Bantamweight champion. Kind of a weird scenario. We all know what happened yeah. the last time. It was a solid fight going through. Peter Jan was winning. Unfortunately, he hit the illegal knee. Algernon couldn't continue. And, uh, you know, I said at the time, and I stick by it, listen— Peter Yan screwed up. He threw an illegal knee. It's not Aljamain's fault he couldn't continue. And when you look at the way that landed, I can't really fault him because he goes back out there and fights again. He may actually get knocked out. And then what are we gonna say? Like, well, too bad on you for fighting. Uh, so none of this is Aljamain's fault. That being said, Peter Yan, I am so high on him. And listen. Going into the first fight with Aljo, I picked Aljo. I thought Aljo's grappling, his 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 tenacity, his takedowns, his his size, I thought he would actually be able to get Peter Jan down and do what he does. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get him down. Yeah. Couldn't hold him down. Couldn't do much of anything. And then by the second, third, and then going into that fourth round, Jan was kind of lighting him up on the feet. What turned me completely around, and I know it's a completely different stylistic matchup, but what Peter Yan did to Corey Sanhagen after that first round, I was blown away because I am so high on Corey Sanhagen, especially yeah. as a striker. I'm all in on Peter Yan now. I mean, I am. I really am. And I hate to turn, you know, kind of turn the tables on on, on my boy Aljamain because he's such an incredible fighter. I really, truly do believe Peter Yan is the best bantamweight in the sport right now. And it's not. It's nothing against Aljamain. I'll pick Peter Yan to beat Aljamain. I'll pick Peter Yan to beat T.J. Dillashaw. I'll pick peter yawn to beat anybody right now unless it's a freaky weird occurrence if peter yawn's on his game i just have a hard time believing anybody beats him right now
2: i agree i mean he's kind of got the thing that the main event alexander volkanovsky has as well where he's like a tremendous powerful striker he could grapple he's tough to be submitted i mean he's just well-rounded explosive and built like that he's very tough Um, You look at Aljamain Sterling. He's had success throughout the majority of UFC career by being a grappler, right? I mean, he just gets a hold of you. I've rolled with Aljo and the guy gets on my back and he's like a backpack. You can't shake him. He gets there so fast. He finds a way to your back and he's had success throughout his career. Eventually you started seeing him get to the back by playing the range game. He's a kicker. He stays in out of striking range with the hands and he throws these long kicks. He throws front kicks to your body, leg kicks. He disrupts your rhythm. He makes you get desperate and, uh, and aggravated and take an irresponsible strike, and then he changes levels, and he's on you and he finishes the fight. That's the majority of his wins in the UFC. He's gotten some flag from it because sometimes they weren't always the most exciting because he was either all the way in or all the way out. He changed my thoughts on that when he fought my buddy Pedro Munoz. Pedro's a terrific striker uh, all over, big power in his hands, and he outboxed. Pedro in that fight and he showed, look, he's not just a kicker with grappling. He's also got hands when he wants to sit on that inside range, going into that first fight together. I was very curious to see how they would match up. And as you said, Peter Yama's having none of it, man. He was just an assassin in there. It ended illegally. And, and now we have this rematch today because of it. But I want to see how, how Aljo looks. And I don't want to, Aljo's my boy. Um, we've actually both had the same neck surgery. Uh, the exact same one, I believe it was, C- uh, C5, C6, uh, disc replacement. Um, those are tough things to come back from, man. You know, they're not as bad as sometimes you see these fighters like Daniel Cormier, um, other fighters that have had the, the back fusion, a disc in the back. When they get that fuse, they never quite have the mobility that they quite had. You see, you saw that in, in Daniel's three fights with Stipe. He looked kind of lesser in each one of those. No disrespect to my boy, DC, but he just didn't seem like the same youthful guy. Aljo still young enough. And I fought two fights after my neck surgery. But I tell you what, going into the first fight after my neck surgery, man, I had done a lot of training in the gym. I had guys choke me out. I would tap out right away. I didn't want to mess anything up. I was saving it for the fight. But the first time I got hit hard and my head jolted, I go, holy shit. I hope my neck's all right. I'm wondering if Al Jermaine has any reservations going into it. Like, let me play safe. Let me go back to that old, stay on the outside, kick, 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 make Peter Yan, make a desperate strike and then change levels. You know, we might not see it as exciting fighter as what I'm alluding to. We might see a smarter, safer fighter because it didn't go well the first time. And now he's had neck surgery was he doesn't want to get caught with an uppercut or something crazy, much less a knee he might play safe
1: and play to the outside on this one. Can I ask you Alan, because you went through that surgery uh because no fighter and listen I I, I love Alvarez. I've known Alvarez for a lot of years. Incredible good incredible dude. I love talking to him. Very smart guy uh but he's also a wrestler, you know, and that's kind of his forte is jumping in. He talked about and he told me this before when he had, before he had the next surgery that that was always something to hamper him because he couldn't really shoot mm-hmm. in because when you're shooting in a lot of times you're shooting head first. And your head gets knocked by the takedown when you're going into a body, going into a knee, things like that. Um, no fighter is going to say, oh, yeah, I'm worried about my neck. Of course, they're not going to say that. You know what I mean? You yeah. might hear it afterwards. But you've been there. I mean, you know what it's like. And again, I know you're I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to make excuses for Algemain, but it's a real factor. You're thinking about it, right? Like it's something that you can't completely ignore.
2: He's obviously been sparring, taking shots and grappling. Right. But the, the adjustment that you make, because I've spoken to everyone, Chris Weidman was the first guy to have this surgery that I spoke to. Um, uh, um I can't think of his name, but there's lots of guys in the UFC and in other organizations that have had this surgery and the fight community is small. We've all reached out to one another. When you have this kind of neck surgery, they usually say, look, talk to these fighters. They've had it. And Aljo was, I'm the guy that Aljo called and wanted some advice with it. I told him my story. Um, Al Jermaine seemed to recover from this faster than normal. I think he's just, st- he's still pretty young and uh, good genetics. And so he was able to recover fast, but you make adjustments to your training. When somebody gets you in some type of crank, it's a tap. I'm not, I'm not fighting to go to sleep or get cranked in the gym and training. It's a tap. So you're always playing it safe in the gym. All right. You got me. Okay. Yeah. You were, you know, and, and then it's, it's, you got it's the guy, you know, you had it locked in, but I tapped early. Cause you don't want to make a, you don't want to mess, mess anything up if you're not fighting. So there always is a small reservation in your head. Like how much can I go? Cause when you get this neck surgery, you lose anywhere from 20 to 30% mobility. Right. So cranks and chokes and things like that become different. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, how he does with it. There was a, um, there was another point I was going to make on it that I, that I can't remember at the moment. Um, but this is his first fight back from it, so we're going to see. I think, like I said, he has um, tested it out in the gym, but it's real fight time. We're going to see what happens then.
1: Yeah, and you, you said it right there, and you mentioned with DC, and we've seen it with other guys. Like I said, the pain that Algermaine was in, he talked about this with me before, you know, he needed the neck surgery, but as you just said, the neck surgery still takes something out of you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, ne- you're never quite yeah. back to a hundred percent. You're better than you were within is your neck. You know what I mean? That's for sure. But it doesn't mean you're a hundred percent. Does that make sense? What I'm saying?
2: Yeah, no, I know. I a hundred percent. It does. Um, <laughs> uh, it makes sense. And, um, I remember my point I wanted to make the one adjustment. And I don't know for Algeria, but the one adjustment it made for me, um, was I'm not known as a wrestler, right? But I still wrestle my ass off every week in training. I just don't show it, right? Because I'm more comfortable as a fighter. But in wrestling, when I got back to the gym, I had to change my wrestling, which messed things up for me because I would normally shoot a, in, a head inside single leg or a run through the body double leg. And for those people that aren't as familiar with wrestling, you're kind of taught at an early age if this is the person's body. You hit a double leg head in the chest. You put your forehead in the chest and you run through them. That's a power double, baby. You smash through them. I could no longer do that. I could no longer hit the chest, hit the body with my forehead after the surgery because I was at risk. I said, if I'm going to do anything, at least I like could tap on a submission, I like could tap on a crank. You can't defend yourself from a collision to your neck, right? That's why football players always get the fusion fighters. The legs from getting fused because they want the mobility so in the neck. They we want to be able to turn, so that's why they get the disc replacement. But it's not as strong as a fusion upon impact. Football players need that impact. So I had to change the way that I shot. I would never head in the chest, double leg anybody, and I would go head outside on my single leg. I had to change my wrestling. Algemin being a tremendous wrestler, that's probably going to be a big game plan in this fight. Will it change his wrestling approach in this fight? It's going to be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, and, I, and listen, you know, I love Aljo, and I think Aljo is an incredible fighter. And and my you know analysis of the fight isn't a knock on Aljo. I just I'm just I'm just really a big fan of what Peter jan has been doing recently. That guy's a beast. His striking is so good. His boxing is incredible. I mean, again, when you go out there and outstrike yeah. Corey Sanhagen, and listen, no offense, T.J. Dillashaw, I thought Corey Sanhagen won that fight, uh, you know, and, and, and then to go out there and outstrike him the way he did, he had a, a tough first round. And then he made the adjustments and just boxed up Corey for the better part of the next four rounds. It was amazing. And like I said, my praise of, of Peter isn't a knock on Aljo. It's purely praise on Peter Jan. Like, it's not a knock on Aljo, man Sterling, again, I would pick Peter Yan to beat most. You'll beat every band away right now. I just, I'm just i that high on Peter Yan right now.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. He's fast. He's quick. He boxes guys up. I don't know if I'm just buying into – Aljo saying, "I'm going to run all the way to the bank. I'm happy. I think what he's alluding to in some of these interviews is he's the champion now, so he's probably getting pay per view points. So he's the champion going into this matchup. He's not getting the three hundred thousand uh, dollar contender. He's getting I'm the pay per view. I get pay per view points plus x amount. So he's making more money on this fight. This is what he's happy about. But he's also showing a lot of swagger and confidence as if he knows something. He's talking about. He feels very confident." I wonder if Al Jermaine Jermaine, from that first fight truly believes that he's gotten better from that fight or if it's him kind of playing the role of the champion where he has to sell a fight, right? You have to be confident. You have to have a swagger. He's getting points now. And anybody knows that once you get to the level, you're getting points. You got, And you're a champion. You have to start selling fights. You have to give some back and forth. And he's giving a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of trash talking going on. I wonder if he truly believes it. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I just do. I do wonder if he truly believes He's going to come back and just shock the world and have a complete flip flop from the first fight. Or if it's just him doing as a champion is supposed to do and making this fight. Interesting. I don't know, but I think Jan probably is going to get the victory in this one.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a great matchup. And, uh, and I really do. I tell you what, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to Homsak coming back uh, coming back. I'm looking forward to the main event. I think this is the one I'm most excited about, to be honest, just because it's so much unfinished business. You know, we didn't get to see the first one end, Correctly, You know, it's unfortunate the way it ended. I think this is the yeah. fight I'm most excited about on this entire card. Uh, re- let's move on to the main event, Alan. Of course, we got Alexander Volkanovsky making his return against the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. Of course, uh, the Korean zombie is taking this fight not on short notice. He took it weeks ago. Of course, he, he took it after Max right. Holloway was unable to fight, and they actually pushed this one back. It was originally going to be in March. Now it's going to be in April. So he obviously had, I think, pretty much a full training camp to prepare. And I love that the Korean Zombie is down in Arizona training with the Fight Ready team. I have become such <laughs> a fan of Henry Cejudo as a coach. I mean, Henry Cejudo yeah. was an incredible champion, but I think, he's, I think he's becoming maybe an even better coach. That being said, I was, I was never a doubter of Alexander Volkanovsky. I thought he beat Max Holloway pretty clearly the first time. I scored Max winning the second fight. No offense to Alexander, scored, but again, close fight. Coming out and doing and having that fight with Brian Ortega and and having that battle in a couple of close moments, of course, he had a couple of submissions. But outside of that, he really poured on the punishment on the feet and really did a lot of damage there. And and we know how tough Brian Ortega is. Kind of like with with Peter Yan, I'm starting to be kind of all in on Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, that being said, I still really do want to see the third fight with Max because Max has looked so good in his last couple of wins. I like the Korean Zombie man and I almost feel bad because it's like man this guy like you always you always want to see the Korean Zombie win you want to see him reach that plateau become a champion but I just I don't know man I think I think the only guy that I I really see giving Volkanovski problems right now is Max Holloway and I, it's just again it's mm-hmm. not a, it's kind of like the Peter Yan and Anthony Sterling fight it's not a knock on the Korean Zombie I'm just really high on Alexander Volkanovsky right now
2: yeah, as am I, as am I. Uh, you know, those two Holloway fights raised a lot of doubts in, in Volkanovsky. Um, and this fight in particular actually became personal because the Korean zombie, you know, he, 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 uh, um, Volkanovsky got wind of it. The Korean zombie was saying, look, you, sh- you should be your shameful champion because he believes he's not the champion. He believes Max won that second fight that you're talking about. Um, and that was a very close fight. Uh, and, and, and credit to Max. I know Max isn't in this conversation really, but that first fight against Volkanovski, Volkanovski looked like a world beater. And it was like, how would Max Holloway ever do good against him? He looks so good. And Max Holloway was kind of, I don't want to say he's slowing down in his career, but, you know, he was the champion. He was the best. And now he's kind of not quite there. He's still at the top. Uh, and then Max Holloway comes back in the second fight and shocks the world saying, look, he made adjustments. And I think that wasn't the second fight, the one that he said he was like training and, and no sparring and he was doing like shadow boxing. And it was like during the quarantine. Anyway, my point being, he looked tremendous. Very close fight, could have gone either way. Um, but that's the fight that the Korean zombie is saying, dude, you lost that fight, Alexander Volkanovsky. How, how shameful of you to be a champion. But the way that he looked against Brian Ortega, he's that world beater again. And to get out of a Brian Ortega submission choke, which nobody has been able to do so far and survive and put the lay down that kind of ground and pound consistently for that many rounds, tough, tough fight for Korean zombie. And, and, and the odds makers are showing it. I think this is the biggest significant uh, underdog going to fight. I think I want to say he's a, a minus 700 or something to win this fight. Bokonofsky is over the Korean zombie. So they're not giving the Korean zombie any, any love and kind of somewhat rightfully. So you look at the zombie, uh, I, who's his last win? Do you know off the top of your head?
1: Uh, he had the fight. It was it Dan Ige. Was that his last one? I think it was his last. Might one. have been that. To, You're he correct. had the loss to lost Ortega, then he had the win over oh, Dan Ortega. Ige. Ortega. Yeah. So
2: that that was my point. Had a big win over Dan Ige, who's tremendous. But the way that Brian Ortega was was able to look so good against Korean Zombie. I know I'm not trying to do the MMA math thing, but you can't help say it because this is somebody who Volkanovsky has fought both men, or at least has fought Brian Ortega. But Ortega looks like a ninja in there against the Korean zombie. It, 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 it can't help but think that it, you're going to see Volkanovsky with his hand raised at the end of the night.
1: Yeah, and listen, I, I, I love the Korean zombie. one of those guys you have a hard time not rooting for, but if there's one kind of knock on him I would give a little bit is that he does get hit in his fights. He, yeah. he, you know, he's a very, he's a huge offensive weapon, but he also gets hit in his fights. And I just don't think you can play that game with Alexander Volkanovsky. The guy hits like a truck. Uh, he's just, and his, I mean, talk about conditioning. I mean, when you can go five rounds, two times with Max Holloway and win. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. I mean, cause we know how good Max Holloway is. We know that guy will throw 500 punches in a round. You know what I mean? To go five rounds with him twice and walk out with the title both times, even if they're both close fights, uh, and the the first one wasn't as close. The second was close. Um, I just, again, Volkanovsky just on a roll right now. And, and again, unless he's somehow just looking past the zombie, which I don't think he'll do. Uh, mm-hmm. If he's just thinking, I'm going to go in there and roll through this guy, which again, I don't think he'll do. Um, I just have a hard time picking against him. And uh, as much as I love the zombie man, I just think he takes a little bit too much of damage. He puts himself into bad situations, trying to take advantage of it. And I just don't think he can do that against Alexander Volkanovsky. I just think this guy's on a roll right now. And uh, he's, he's, he's kind of got that champion's momentum, kind of like what Usman's got, kind of what uh, what Israel Adesanya's got right now. When you start rolling, it's hard to stop that forward momentum. And I think Volkanovsky, I think he got a lot of respect coming out of that Ortega fight. I think a lot of people were giving him same thing you said about the zombie. Oh, you didn't beat Max? Come on. And then yeah. to go out and have that fight against Ortega, I think he got a lot of respect that he deserves so, yeah, I, I think Volkanovski wins. I don't know if he'll get a finish or not because we know how incredibly tough the zombie is, but uh mm-hmm. I have a hard time picking against Volkanovski in this one.
2: Yeah, I, one thing that I don't think a lot of people are talking about yet but is what if zombie wins? Can you imagine that? The Korean zombie would then turn the division on its head right there. He's taking the fight semi-short notice, having not looked great against Ortega, did beat Dan Ige if he was able to win and I think he would be probably our first Korean champion ever, uh, taking that fight. It'd be crazy. And then you put, uh, Henry. sahuda who I imagine would be in this corner in the center of the, <laughs> octagon, he'd be wanting, he'd be wanting the coach of the year award over Khabib. Now it, it, it would be badness. I mean, it would be pandemonium.
1: How funny is it that we're coming out, you know, we're in the, we're barely starting in the 2022 and we're talking about two guys who could be coach of the year, two former UFC champions, yeah. Khabib Nurmagomedov and Henry Sehuda. How crazy is that? Right.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to see that, man. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, are these guys amazing coaches? They probably have some good coaching pedigree. Obviously, Khabib came from, you know, he learned everything from his father. So it was an easy transition for him. Henry Ceruto has been in combat sports his entire life. Is he an amazing coach? Don't know for sure, to be honest. I really don't know. I haven't seen that much of it. Can he make people believe in himself because he's achieved so many greatness, greatness in so many sports 100%? Sometimes that's all it is. It's just saying, I'm going to a new place, a fresh place. This is a champion. This guy believes in me. This champion, Henry Cejudo, the double champ, the triple C, the gold medalist. He believes in me. I got him in his corner. That's going to get me over this hurdle, this edge that maybe mentally some fighters weren't able to get to. I think it just, it it, it helps. It's good to be a a coach, but uh, to have good coaching, obviously, but just being a champion and believing in these fighters, I think it's helping these other fighters perform at higher levels as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's funny. I remember interviewing Henry before his first fight in the UFC, and I'm a I'm a big wrestling guy, so of course I was, you know, kind of freaking out because he's a gold medalist. You know, it was so cool to have him mm-hmm. come to the UFC. I remember sitting down and talking to him, and he was, you know, still very young in his career at that point, five or six fights, whatever it was coming into the UFC. And just talking to him, you could tell, like, he has that motivational, like, ideology behind him. Like, he's the guy who will pump you up to make you believe you mm-hmm. can win a gold medal, you know? And, like, again, we can't discount the, the 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 mental edge in a fight. If he can build up the zombie and make him believe he can get the job done, maybe he can't get the job done. I have a hard time believing anybody beats Volkanovsky right now. But, hey, maybe that's the hurdle. Maybe he breaks through that mental hurdle with the zombie and gets him over the hump and he, and he becomes champion. You never know.
2: It would be impressive. And I got to say, that Michael Myers mask behind your head has <laughs> been like freaking me out for like the last ten minutes. I can't take my eyes off. That's <laughs> yes. hilarious. That's hilarious. I got my horse like subplot. look behind me? I know.
1: <laughs> you got, you got the, you got the window behind you. You gotta keep an eye out there. He might be right behind I you. Know. Right? I know.
2: Halfway through this, I said it's staring. I was like, what is that behind you
1: <laughs> Behind him. Uh, Alan, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, what, what you got coming up? Of course, you're always busy doing the commentary thing, doing the, uh, the analyst gigs for the UFC what do you have coming up so people can kind of keep an eye out on what you got coming next
2: yeah I mean it's just always busy stuff you know it's always staying consistent I don't know the exact dates but I know I'm working for the LFA I do color commentary for them if you haven't watched the LFA again this is the feeder to the organization to the UFC organization they put like 300 fighters in the UFC and so most of the talent I came from the LFA it was actually called the RFA at the time but I went four fights in the RFA the UFC picked me up anyway I do color commentary for them uh, it's, it's a lot of fun so as, lot, as does as like Michael Kiesa, Anthony Smith, we all wrote it. Laura Sanko got her start there. So I have that coming up and I'm still doing the dead shows, uh, with the UFC. And so, uh, yeah, guys, if you aren't following me, check me out at Alan Joban on social media. Um, but you'll see me on one of these shows real soon.
1: I think we got to get you some commentary gigs in the UFC. Alan. I think you do a phenomenal job. I've watched those LFA broadcasts. Uh, I, I love that product they put on over there. And uh, I think, you know, contender series, whatever. I think we need to see Alan yeah. Joe Ban behind a UFC desk.
2: I believe so. I think it'll be in sometime in the near future. I've been banging on the door. Eventually, eventually, it's going to open up.
1: Absolutely. Well, Alan, thank you so much again for taking the time. I really do appreciate, it, especially knowing how busy you are. So I appreciate you doing this breakdown with me. Uh, cannot wait to see what you, what you do next. Uh, safe travels and whatever else you do. I know you're always on the road and doing things like that. So thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, let's do this again. I said you were. Uh, I had to get you on the show now. Now you're stuck. You got to come back. Like at this point, now you know we'll you're stuck. Exactly. So just expect these messages
2: all the time. You're
1: going to be coming on.
2: You get rid of that mask, and I'm going to be on this show, brother. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, Alan. We'll talk soon, okay? Appreciate it, brother.
1: Bye-bye. Take care. And there you go. A big thank you to Alan Band for joining me for this UFC 273 preview show. Uh, should be a great event this weekend. Two title fights at the top. Of course, the return of Hamza Chemaev against Gilbert Burns and all the other fights. We broke down on the main card. Uh, make sure you check us out on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, and, of course, you can always find us over on MMAfighting.com. Look forward to the event on Saturday. Of course, we'll talk about the fallout next week also. Of course, we got another big fight coming up next week with Vicente Luque taking on Bilal Muhammad in the main event over there, so uh, look forward to that. As always, want to say a big thank you for everyone that tunes in each week to The Fighter versus The Rider. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then.
0: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.